it's your job as a leader to interpret the you know the, the things that come to you so everybody has things that as a group has been decided and then you have to kind of communicate them sideways and downwards and all that kind of stuff i i think if you're anything but optimistic about them it does come through in your tone like it does come through in your actions it does come through everywhere Welcome to the Super Managers podcast where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams collaborate on meeting agendas, track action items, and turn chaotic meetings into productive work sessions. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden and I'm the CEO of fellow.app. Today's guest is Matt Davy. Matt is the CXO or Chief Experience Officer at 1Password and has valuable experience as a consultant prior to that for companies like HSBC, First Direct, Nokia, and Microsoft. In today's episode, Matt shares the ceremony of meetings he runs and how he experiments with meeting formats as a rapidly growing team. We also talk about how labeling yourself can push you to act in a certain way. In this case, Matt labeled himself as an optimist and he explained how that helped him during his time as chief operating optimist. Lastly, we talk about different ways to increase engagement and collaboration as a remote organization and why it's important to help your team form bonds. If you found this episode helpful to your leadership journey, let us know by using the hashtag supermanagers on social media. And finally, don't forget to send us an email to supermanagers at fellow.app if you'd like to be part of our exclusive Slack community for listeners. Now, without further ado, here's Matt Davey on episode 77 of the Supermanagers podcast. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure and, and an honor as well to be here. Yeah, it's uh, very excited to have this conversation with you. You know, uh, you you have had uh, pretty extensive experience at a bunch of different companies, including uh, BNP Paribas, uh, HSBC, and, and obviously you've been at uh, 1Password for quite a while now. And today you're, you are the uh, CXO or Chief Experience Officer. How long have you actually been at 1Password? It's coming up to a decade, uh, which is kind of wild the the beginning part of that career was was you know part-time and then kind of grew into a into a full-time role um so like not a full decade but very close to yeah you must like it there (laughs) it's uh yeah it, it feels like i've worked at three or maybe even four now different companies of different sizes with the same group of great people so i i think like through the ages um, you know, through the through the decade, uh, it 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 has been like like working at 
several different companies at the, at the different scale points. Yeah. So I, I mean, you and I were just chatting about this uh, before we hit record, but uh, you started when the company was, I think, like 20-ish people. And today, order of magnitude, how many people work there? Uh, yeah, I think it's 544 as of today. Um, I did. Oh, wow. I did That's just the exact real-time number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So I'm excited to dig in. Why don't we start with this? So one of the, I guess, unique things is that you started at this company very, very early on, and now it's it's much, much larger. Do you remember when you first started leading a team there? And what were maybe some of the early mistakes that you made when you started doing that? Um, sure. So I, I certainly remember going into a a kind of formalized management there was there was a period where like i was leading a team but everybody was kind of like you know floating um as you do at a small kind of startup scale but i i certainly remember going into having a formalized team with something in my mind that when i like when i started to lead i've had some really reactive bosses on the on the agency side um, and I probably use the word boss because I mean the negative sense of a manager. Um, <laughs> and I really wanted to avoid being that reactive. So, so these, like the, the managers that I've had, um, in agencies have tended to be, you know, really busy, but clutching to some involvement and dropping into a meeting, changing direction, and then jumping out and leaving the team to then pick up the pieces. Right. I'd seen that kind of devastation first firsthand. Um, so I went in with the idea of like, I'm really not going to be like that. And so I had that kind of in my mind, even with a small team. And I think the first forays were like the steepest learning curve for me were in expectations. So, you know, that, that was really the, around the mistakes that I made, like learning that, that clear expectations on a project were not the same as like my expectations of the person leading it. Um, and I, I was the, I was the second designer to, to join one password. And I think around the time that we'd hired the fourth or fifth, I was starting to, to lead that team. I think we're around the, the 30 people mark in the, in the design team now. So I hope that's gotten a lot better. So you said at setting expectations, maybe how did you first start approaching things and like, how do you approach things today? So I, I, I think I had this view that. I, that everybody knew what I meant by this project as a success, right? And that even if we say like we shipped this and it was a success, like everybody would feel that they, that they played their part correctly. I think actually you have to separate the person leading that and any direct reports that you have involved in that and kind of just set really clear expectations individually as well. By that, I mean, you know, you, you can ship something really well, but it could be a nightmare to get there, right? Like the ceremonies of, of meetings could be off and they could have changed directions three times without research or, or any of these things. I guess the expectation that you place on an individual, that wasn't clear to me. I didn't have any kind of management training as, as you know, many people kind of, especially in design, don't have. You know, you just, you're the loudest designer in the room, I guess might be the case. <laughs> but um. I, yeah, I think that that expectation that you have on an individual and, and their performance throughout a project is entirely different from the project's success. And I didn't separate those two in my mind. Like shipping was the goal. You ship well, 
you know, you do well. Yeah. I, you know, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense and I can, I can totally see that. And it's, you want to do something and say like, even if you have a company goal and if you hit the company goal, uh, then you might think that everybody who was part of the company or part of the team, I mean, they all, they all did great. And so the feedback is, is super positive, but um, you're right. If it was a struggle to get there and yes, we got there, but uh, it would be really nice to actually set those individual sort of expectations. One word that you use, which I thought was very interesting is, did you call it the ceremonies of the meetings that you had? I, I found it very interesting, the use of the word ceremonies. Would love for you to elaborate. What are some of the ceremonies that you use? The, the, the kind of term ceremony in my mind means like a, a, a repeated thing on each project, right? So it's not just a... It's not just a meeting that happens individually once. It is a, a like a ceremony of things. So like a, a a project to us is a you know is a series of steps, um, and to to any you know product company I guess. Um, but those series of steps, like if you if you miss one or one happens the wrong way round or like you know a check in doesn't occur here and and you know you don't get your uh, requirements in on time and and like you know the the research doesn't line up to that and all those type of stuff like just just plying meetings after meetings I, I think is a is a reaction that you can have if those if those ceremonies aren't set and you know I'm, I'm not saying we're perfect to this <laughs> um you know we we certainly react with a bunch of meetings sometimes but um i i think having those kind of set stages are really important. Yeah, system and 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 process over just ad hoc uh, putting out fires is is always the right way to go. Uh, but it is harder than it may seem. That that is for sure. One thing that I, I did want to chat with you about is I know you have this thing called uh, an all call meeting at one password. What what is that? <laughs> so the thing about kind of a growing or a rapid growing company and, and speaking on podcasts or, or on blog posts or anything like that is by the time I've said it out loud, we've hired more people and the thing that I talk about doesn't scale. So like I, I will talk about, you know, our, our all calls, but they've changed a little, right? We have uh, two types now, which seems to be working well, 544, right? Seems to be working well. Firstly, a, a quarterly update to the business in general, how OKR, OKRs are going, uh, and and what each team has had, has launched or plans to launch um, towards those those kind of you know corporate goals company goals, and the second is is something that we started pretty recently, which is our CEO runs a Q and A Q&A in which any people can submit anonymous questions, and and that's more regular. You know, he might pass that over to to someone in the leadership uh, if if they can answer it better than him. So. You know that that's the that's how they've scaled. But I I think any any version of a all company call needs to have kind of two elements to it. It needs you need to leave there being excited. Like I, I think anything that is not exciting should live in a probably a department or a team call. Like these these things are supposed to you know pump you up, jump on stage, kind of kind of vibe um and i think the second one is some kind of like global update about where we are where we're heading 
and and that kind of that kind of assurity that can only come from a, a, a leadership team or, or like a, an executive team? Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, there's a, a bunch of stuff to unpack there. One is it sounds like this meeting and the format has has changed uh, since you first started it, which makes all the sense in the world. Uh, so today you run this, you said you you have two types. Is, so the, is this a quarterly or is it a, a monthly meeting? I believe, if I remember correctly, the first one is quarterly and the second one is um, it is every other week they've changed format a bunch um i haven't had a, a direct hand in the the, the exact format but I, I know we've kind of experimented with a, a bunch of stuff so the, the quarterly one then is more on broad scale okrs where's the company and how is the trajectory going you know in accordance to what we wanted the trajectory to be and uh, the other one is more around just global updates, you know, positive news, things to share with with everybody and, and get everybody pumped and excited about the future. Uh, yeah, I think all, all the kind of, you know, the the activity and the the vibe are in that first one. And then the second one is, is just literally people submit questions, anybody, um, anonymously. Um, it can be about you know, what they want to see the company do more of. It, it, it could be, you know, comments around anything. And, um, and, and the, you know, our CEO goes over those and, and is really honest and, and open and answers those questions. Or if he can't answer them, he says, like, I, I can't answer this right now, but I'll give you, a, you know, an, an update next time we do this. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So is the whole thing a Q&A in that case? For that second one, yes, it is, yeah. Okay, that's awesome. One other thing that I wanted to call out, which was very interesting, was just the emotion behind it. So it's very interesting to obviously have that functional element, but you also talked about the emotion behind it. So, And you said that some things may not be in the in the company-wide update or the company-wide meeting, but then will be in a design that will be in the departmental update. So given that this other event happens once every two weeks. Do you do something for your core group then? So I, I run a, a, a bunch of uh, different kind of elements too. Um, so I have a, a, a design department specific all hands and I'm experimenting with this as well. Um, these are monthly and they're on a three month cycle between updates, deep dives and socials. So, you know, every every three months, one of those. The last All Hands I put together was a pub quiz, uh, which included questions like, how many bees does the sing, uh, singer sting weigh? Which is a really leveling question. You know, general knowledge is not going to help you with that pub quiz. Um, but yeah, those, those are kind of us as a department coming together for, you know, being a team, finding the the updates to major things that have that have shipped or are coming across or or maybe a, even a deep dive into some new things that we're doing on the design system or, or something like that we, we have a, a kind of a bunch of other ones as well including um we run a design critique now across the design department it, it used to be that each individual team would run theirs separately but we've seen a, a huge improvement in things like presenting skills and, and just general uh, like general communication by having those run across the entire department. So I, I think, yeah, continuing to experiment with, with formats and, and such, the last, well, one of the last um, all hands I put together for, for updates, 
I actually ran not in a presentation piece of software, but I ran in a whiteboarding piece of software. And so everybody was like, you know, writing questions, dumping them in there and drawing on it and all, all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was a good experiment to do. Uh, I wouldn't uh, recommend it, if I'm honest. <laughs> like having having everybody all in there at once kind of, you know, took me off my uh, presentation game a little bit. But um, I, I think it was really good engagement to do that as well. Like people were engaging with the content rather than just like sitting back and, and looking at a, you know, a few slides. Yeah. I think the interesting thing about this is that you are constantly... As as the company's growing, as teams growing, you're constantly trying new things, and you learn something from everything that you do. Even the the one where you're on a whiteboarding software, everybody together, it's uh, you ended up learning um, a bunch from that. And I think like those are the things that really help uh, leaders be successful. And it is just constant experimentation and, and trying uh, different things at different times. Did you used to call yourself the chief operations optimist? I did. Yeah. It was a, when one password again was a a much smaller company. Um, I, I took the kind of the second seat across uh, things like design partnerships, marketing, really building us up to a point where we could hire specialists for those areas. Um, It it was in the, you know, earlier days of of one password. We, we all had fun titles. Um, and so my, uh, you know, our CEO was the chief eliminator of obstacles, like CEO. Um, and then, so the second ever CC, which was was me, uh, I, I thought following that similar path was a was a good idea. It didn't scale as well as you'd think it was. Uh, after about sixty people, no one really knew what anybody else did because the 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 fun titles got a little bit kind of abstract. I I think you know when you're closer to to six hundred people, you need a a, a title and a position that that tells someone exactly what you do. Um, I think mine at the moment is even like a slight bit too vague. You know, maybe I should be design and that's kind of a tangible thing rather than experience, which could be like, you know, you experience anything. Um, but I, I, as, as I said, constant improvements. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Thank you for the, uh, for the background on, on how, and I, I love that title too, the chief eliminator of obstacles. You know, to to some extent, it does clarify what a CEO could do at that stage. I I think that's more clear than his title now, which is just, you know, CEO. But um, yeah, operations optimist was a bit, you know, maybe a touch further than that. Yeah, I like that. I am the eliminator. (laughs) (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. Um, So on the, uh, I just want to dig in on, on, on this word optimist. So how did that like come into play? And is that you know, basically something that goes deeper. Is that kind of just like a mentality that you have around leadership? hundred percent. I do try in everything to look at the most kind of optimistic angle of something in an obstacle removing role. You can become quite pessimistic around everything, right? I, I've had to deal with this thing three times in a week now. I, like I'm, I'm just going to, you know, drastically do something and not hope for the better of the of the future and i i think like you have to there's always a reason around everything that you've done in the past and decisions that other others have made and so like i do think you have to be a an, an optimist 
to to be a leader. Like I I, I do think like not blind optimism. <laughs> I I'm not walking into a a situation where like you know something isn't great and just spouting how great it is. But I I also think it's it's your job as a leader to interpret the you know the the things that come to you. So everybody has things that as a group has been decided and then you have to kind of communicate them sidewards and downwards and all that kind of stuff. I, I think if you're anything but optimistic about them, it does come through in your tone. Like it does come through in your actions. It does come through everywhere. And like, I, I'm not perfect at this. I, like the reason why I like to call myself an optimist is to kind of like push myself to be one. Because like my my British sensibilities are that, you know, you just kind of wade <laughs> through everything's a little bit terrible and you just kind of get on with it. And, you know, <laughs> I, I do hate the term stiff it, but it does describe us very well as a nation. We don't do things well. We never have like self-confidence to say, yeah, we're great. It's just everything's a little bit terrible, but you carry on going, don't you? Because that's the thing that you do. Um, and And I think like, you know, my version of optimism probably gets me to about the level of, you know, perhaps an American or a Canadian. So may, maybe <laughs> I, I find myself having to push that a bit further. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, what I will say is I find it very clever. Uh, the the way that you put it, which was sometimes I like to give myself that label to remind myself or almost push myself to to go to a, a certain place. I think that is uh, that is very very uh, that's a very interesting almost like life and career hack. I wonder what other labels people could come up with to kind of encourage them uh, to be able to do things like that. Maybe things like I love talking to customers as an example. If you are typically maybe an introvert and don't want to go and do that very much, um, so I, f- I find that very very clever. So one thing I did want to talk about was just the concept of remote work. Is it true that you have all been at 1Password remote from from the very beginning? Yes. So I've been there 10 years and I've only worked out of an office for two of those. And the reason was I, I, I moved to Canada specifically to spend a bit more time in the office. And then, you know, everybody, I think even in the office when we had one, was Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, so like, you know, some days I'd just be sitting in this fairly gigantic office all alone. And when you think about that, as we were, I don't know, about 200 people at the time. And like, I'm just wandering into this office that could probably sit 200 people and just in there alone. Um, that That's how, that's how kind of remote we are. Um, it's, I think more people are describing their companies as, as remote, meaning like everybody works from home, but I I think you have to go a bit further these days and be like, we are, we are set up for remote work. Like we, we've previously had like giant conferences where everybody attends and found that we resorted in some places to talking to each other over Slack, right? (laughs) Because, because it was just like second nature to, to work remotely um so the the growing pains and everything that that you know occur remotely we had been experiencing um and the the difficulties in things like culture and and all those types of you know 
things that are easier when everybody's in the same room. I, I think we had a, a different flavor of to begin with. Um, so I, I think like, I, I really hope the, the rest of the, you know, the rest of the world is finding that, you know, remote can be a great experience as an employee as well. I'd love for you to dig in on some of the things maybe that you do within your team or within the company that really allow you to harness the power of remote. And uh, what are some things, because I think you're right, you know, for those that are uh, operating remote, which just means everybody work from home today, they're probably just, again, taking what used to work at the office and trying to mimic it in in the non-office setting. What are some things that maybe you do that, that may be obvious to you, but maybe some of these other companies uh, can learn from? I, I think with, with everything remote, you have to be drastically more intentional. Um, otherwise, it, the, the, the meaning or the intent or anything like that just kind of gets lost. And the, and, and the culture of a, of a workplace like this is, is really important to me. So as a whole company, we have things like uh, we have like seasonal whole events where we're, we're so big now, like we'll run them five times and a different random group of people will be assigned to each one. We have areas in like Slack and, and um, some other tools that we use where we have rooms to discuss things that are not to do with work. So it'd be like, you know, we have a baking room, a music room, plants room. And I think that's really important as well to, to kind of encourage not just like general chit chat, but to to have spaces out for that. And you know, we have a, a common room for the for the design team. And you know, as a design department, I, I wanted to bring in some things um, because we're across several different time zones. Um, I, I wanted to bring some things that were kind of asynchronous culture as well. You know, not just like you know we're all on a an escape room remotely. I, I still don't think those work, but you know, the, the, we're on an event remotely and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's trying to harness some of that without being on zoom on camera and, and, and stuff. Um, so we have question Tuesday, uh, which, which, you know, goes out and everybody answers a, a question. It doesn't seem like a, a massive thing, but I think when you look at it as a, as a whole, it's trying to bring those conversations that, you know, normally if you just have work channels and you just have anything else, it will be, okay, I, I spoke about my topic. Now I'm just going to be unengaged. And I think it's just helping that, you know, social aspect, but within a work context. So I think the, the, the question Tuesday um, is one. And, and that's really like, I, I try and make those very specific to allowing people to, Okay, so so the, the the next one that runs next week is um, name the worst superpower, and I and I think it's just it's just a conversation starter, uh, but it it really does help kind of social engagement within the the team. The other one that I started running for that was uh, playlist Friday. Um, I, I don't know what it is that it sounds awful every time you put a day of the week next to it. Um, <laughs> like um, <laughs> so so. Playlist Friday is literally I, I drop a genre in there and then everybody uh, fights to pick out what the best track is in that in that genre. Um, that that's become really like hotly contested now, which is great. Like there's so much 
new music that I'm I'm learning about and and I think that helps everybody learn a little bit about each other as well. You know, I I've seen a load of spin-off conversations that have been like, "Oh, you love that artist, I love that too." I think there's a a bunch of other stuff that we do um that's kind of not so timely and every week, but every time a new person joins, uh, they design their their own trading card. So, you know, they they put on their you know, specialist skills and, and all that kind of stuff. And they design that as an introduction to, to joining the team. I think something like that, as you, as you join a team that is like, it, it's really difficult to introduce yourself otherwise, like leaving it up, up to itself is, is not okay with remote, right? Leaving someone to just join Slack and everybody is just expected to say hello is, is not quite enough. It needs to be really intentional. And then the other things that, that I like to do are, again, org-wide um, for, the, for the product org, um, we did a scavenger hunt and we put people in teams and we were like, okay, take a picture that looks like a, you know, an inanimate object that looks like one of your teammates. Um, and we had lots of you know, potatoes that look like someone or something like that. Like th- <laughs> those type of things where someone can go away with a team that isn't the team that they normally operate in um, but is specific to either design or product. I think that really helped as well. But I, I think overall these things, you have to try something. Like I've tried so many, so many things of these and, and it's, it hasn't worked well. Um, and I think you just have to be, you know, adaptive to, the, to changing this all the time, honest when it doesn't work. And I think you have a, have a small group within your team of like trustworthy individuals that's not going to like, blow smoke at you, but instead is going to say, well, that was terrible. You know, that, that really doesn't work. I don't like that. Um, but you know, they're being honest. And I, and I think that, that group that, that, you know, I have in my head and I ping them individually every time I have to do anything new. And I'm like, what did you think of that? Was that okay? Like, did you, and, and I think some people can see that as, as weakness as like, you know, I, you know, this person's questioning themselves or whatever. But I think you need that feedback for anything where you put a new service in, you put a new process. It's, you know, we're changing the the ceremony of meetings or anything like that, or any meeting formats. Like to do that blind and just be like, yeah, I know best. is really dangerous. I love that. Hey there, just a quick note before we move on to the next part. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably already doing one-on-one meetings. But here's the thing. We all know that one-on-one meetings are the most powerful, but at the same time, the most misunderstood concept and practice in management. That's why we've spent over a year compiling the best information, the best expert advice into this beautifully designed 90 plus page ebook. Now don't worry, it's not single spaced font, you know, lots of text. There's a lot of pictures. It's nice, easily consumable information. We spent so much time building it. And the great news is that it's completely free. So head on over to fellow.app slash blog to download the definitive guide on one-on-ones. It's there for you. We hope you enjoy it and let us know what you think. And with that said, let's go back to the interview. You know, one of the interesting things is that when you do something like, uh, you know, play, Playlist Fridays, for example, and people are talking about, you know, titles that, 
you know, they, they like, and then you find that someone that you don't often work with has like the same taste of music or, or something like that. What you're, what you're doing is you're bringing people closer together. And I think one of the important things, I mean, as leaders, we're also measured for uh, retention. We're measured for engagement. We're measured for, for these sorts of things, but uh, this is, this, these, these may sound like very basic things, but helping people on your team to form more bonds together can actually have a big impact. And it's beyond just retention and engagement. It's like, if people are, um, do a better job bonding together, they will perform better and work better together. And so it's, uh, it's amazing that you're doing these things. And, uh, even though you said, maybe I should call myself the chief design officer. I mean, you are designing experiences. It seems like. Yeah. And, and like, you know, some things will work for for some of the team, but won't work for others. Like the the, the presentation that I actually did on uh, Fig Jam, where everybody just ended up like dropping smiley faces onto my notes and everything like that. <laughs> everybody absolutely loved it. Like, I must say, like, that was the highest engagement of a, you know, of a design presentation where we announced some um i think i think we announced some promotions and some new people that were joining and and you know a couple of new documents that we had it wasn't a riveting you know conversation really um but like everybody who got a promotion like people drawing crowns on them and and like all this kind of stuff like it that that really helped and and now i have to decide next time whether i continue this as an in joke (laughs) and like it just becomes oh yeah every time that there's a a matte presentation he does it in somewhere where you can draw on it and it it just becomes something um and i think those those things are really key of of like deciding what and and i think like as as managers you you do decide what those are you can squash something and be like okay that didn't work but this really works we're gonna have this as our thing um and, and i think they really help bring people together and make make people feel a part of a team yeah, th- th- this makes a uh, makes a lot of sense, and I I love that you're constantly proactively asking for feedback, not just assuming that people are going to come to you and tell you. Uh, so those are all amazing. Uh, one of the um, questions I was going to ask you is, as a design leader, you know, doing very creative work, creative folks often don't like interruptions in their workday. So I would imagine a lot of uh, asynchronous events or ceremonies, a- as you put them, are uh, probably more conducive to uh, people being their best. I'm curious, how do you approach various ceremonies or meetings and, you know, what proportion of them would you say are asynchronous versus synchronous and, and how do you decide? I'm going to be very honest and, and say that like, we, we're not perfect at this. Uh, we, we do have too many calls, right? It's the easiest thing to do and it becomes the default. Um, but we've been pushing more and more having workshops and and kind of pre-call work, like pre-discussion work as um, as asynchronous, remote. Um, and then we're also pushing for updates to be remote as well. So a call where it would be one person presenting an update, we can put that in a place where it's where it's asynchronous, either written or video or or anything like that. Like those two things. I think drastically change how much is, you know, on video on, on zoom calls and and just like getting, getting exhausted from it. People are worried about the, the engagement dropping when it's not a call. And I, and I think more and more the easiest way to kind of encourage that, 
that kind of asynchronous collaboration is a shared space, right? And and if you're asking me personally, I'd say a shared space that isn't a Google Doc, some doodles, some rough notes. You you can always like just do something that's more structured later. Uh, Microsoft actually very recently released uh, a new shared Canvas app. Um, I think it's like OneNote, but basically you can see everybody's curses and it's like multiplayer. Um, so you don't have to share screen or anything. All of that type of thing really helps. Um, and, and understanding like this is the preparation for this date. And, you know, we're going to talk about it here, but I want everybody's uh, kind of input before we do that. I think making that kind of clear and, and understanding like that, that kind of stuff it, it is just really key. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. We all have to do a little bit more work to, uh, you know, approach engagement and collaboration in, in some other ways. One of the things that, that I think also matters a lot in a remote environment is how you think about ownership and making sure, you know, who basically owns various initiatives and, and drives things across the finish line. I'm curious how you structure things, um, you know, within your own organization to kind of uh, put really good accountability into place. Yeah, this is this is another one that, again, that as a company scales, things change. And we've been experimenting a lot recently as well, because there are a lot more projects concurrently. And, you know, there's there's growing pains, which a lot of companies experience around the the number of concurrent projects and the number of people on them. Um, There are a few things that we've considered that, you know, especially in structuring teams that exist across orgs, you know, we have looked at the the, the racy model, the, the responsible, accountable, consulted, informed. It can get complex and it also can reinforce the wrong kinds of behavior. Like if you want a team to be empowered by something and take responsibility between them, it kind of like, you know, oh, I'm only a consultant on this project. I, I you know, I don't feel responsible for it. I don't, I don't see it to success. Um, the other one, which I believe Apple uses is the, is the DRI, the di- di- directly responsible individual method, which helps share some of the, the responsibility but it does keep a single person to make the decision when a when a moment requires, which is pretty good. I, I think really it, it comes down to having that individual responsible and then them communicating with their peers and 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 with the you know meetings, et cetera, around backlog and and what's up, uh, what's up next and all of that, and just the the, the planning. Um, we're at a stage where our product org is is quite young. Um, our, our chief product officer is is less than one year into the to the role. There is kind of an understanding between engineering, design, and and product that like kind of we're all in this together, and and I, I think that at the moment needs to be uh, backed up more on our side with a with a directly responsible individual that we're that we're kind of working towards. But I I think between those three elements, like those are seen as the you know the 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 triangle of people that that kind of pushed up forward. And I think people do really feel the responsibility of, you know, without any kind of formality, I think people are feeling that responsibility because the there's, there's kind of a, 
you know, a leaning on all sides between engineering, design, and and uh, and product, which is nice. I think it, it comes with a care and attention of work. I think. And you're just basically pointing out that there are you know various frameworks and various approaches to this, and and obviously each one of them have pros and cons, and you might use different ones depending on what stage you're in and, and what you're you're actually trying to achieve. Hundred percent. I, I find it's a constant battle between like a level of finesse and and time to deliver so that something is like slightly late and like a medium amount great. And then like once you get to that stage, kind of uh, looking over the, the project, um, like deconstructing it afterwards and finding out what went w- well, like a retrospective type thing. I, th- I think the retrospectives are the biggest area for managers to be able to look at a project and find out what went well. And I think experimenting like once per project and then doing a, and doing a retrospective, it is huge to, to kind of gain aspects from that. Yeah. Matt, this has been uh, incredibly, uh, incredibly insightful. We've talked about, you know, so much we've talked about ceremonies you've run how you labeled yourself as an optimist, how you're designing experiences like Playlist Fridays and I think it was like Question Tuesdays and uh, so so many different things that you've implemented all and constantly experimenting to continue to make um, working within your organization a a great experience. Uh, One of the questions that we like to ask everybody who comes on the show is for all the managers and leaders constantly looking to get better at their craft, are there any tips, tricks, or final words of wisdom that you would leave them with? Sure. So I, I have two, and I couldn't decide between them. Um, the first one is is something that I, I picked up from a, a creative leadership course uh, that I went on. I was presented and, and told to to create a user manual for myself, and and you know. Again, the, 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 the British imposition is like, <laughs> you don't talk about yourself. Um, but I, I kind of filled this out and it really helped me kind of understand that I want these questions from other people that report to me um, and, and kind of that I support in the business. And, and like they were, they were questions like what generates energy for you at work, right? Like what, what gets you pumped up and, and going and, and like things like, how do you like to receive feedback? I, I think as, as managers, one of the things that we can potentially do is be like, right, this is my format. I'm going to share this format out to everybody. And, and what these user manuals help you do is, is work individually with individual people, right. In a, in a individual way. Um, and I think that's, that's huge for me. So I, I changed a bunch of these questions uh, because uh, I didn't like the way they were written. And um, I pushed this out to, to um, my, my team and it, it was really great. We, we, had, um, we had an evening of pizzas uh, and, and stuff over, over Zoom and we went through each other's really honestly and found out how everybody likes to receive feedback. And I noticed like there was a noticeable change in, in how we dealt with each other and like how we understood each other as well. So that, that one's, that one was huge for me. Um, I, I highly recommend, um, you know, Googling all the things around user manuals and, and stuff from a, from a leadership position and, and like working out the questions that are going to work best for you. Um, I, I think that's, 
That's huge. The other one for me is not underestimating org design. Uh, when I first started out, I would be like, okay, well, I'm going to group these into like small little groups and then those groups can like just report to me. I think you have to think about it completely differently. Um, there's a great book out there um, specifically for design orgs, which is org design or design orgs. No, design for org design for design orgs or something akin to that. Um, it's by Peter Merles. So just Google his name. The, the thing with that book is it, it talks about kind of how people can work within teams, but then have like a, a people structure and a project structure and all this kind of stuff. And all of that, I think, is, is absolutely huge. And, and it's one of the things that I think you can fall into having to do. Like when you, when you grow massive amounts, you have to kind of rejig where that is. But I, I also think it's one thing where I really wouldn't recommend experimenting and then, and then hoping for the best. I think there's so much research that you have to do. You have to talk to the people that you're moving to different areas and be like, what, what do you think about this area? What do you think about this change? Like, is this something that you want to do? Um, so it's, it's one area where me as a complete uh, iterationist, I made that word up, I think. Um, but like, you, you can't really iterate on an org design very well at all. It's something that you have to get right first time or it causes a massive amount of upset. Org design, another thing that you need to look into and be good at before you're posed the question, should, should that happen? <laughs> yeah, no, that's an incredible advice. I have not read that book. Something that I will definitely now check out. And obviously we'll leave these all in the show notes. Matt, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank, thanks very much for having me. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.